The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Uh, this is an extraordinary book with an opening chapter that had me on the edge of my seat. Um, let's talk about that opening chapter first. Tell us as much as you want to about the circumstances, because I don't want to give too much away. Well, I'm happy to give away what happens at the very end of that first chapter, because I think that's safe enough. It's kind of on the back of the book. We open with a woman walking alone on a country road at night Um you know, she's in high heels, it's raining, she's not properly dressed for the weather. A car pulls up and offers her a lift and she gets in. I want the reader to immediately, as soon as that door closes, feel like she's made a terrible mistake. This guy is, you know, maybe a bit creepy. But he does as he says, he leaves her off in a safe place. Yeah. Now, now, the background to this, she looks at him, he's got his T-shirt on inside out. Yes. Um, he claims his wife is about to have a baby and he's been sent on a Rennie run for Rennies for But indigest. he's done that without his phone. He doesn't have a mobile phone on him, yeah. he claims. Yeah. And her mobile phone, she says, is dead. Yes. Yeah, and the car is all messy and sticky and it's just, a, it's a bad situation. He's an unsavoury character. <laughs> you know, you feel he, you wouldn't want He's not to... whoever you want to live from at that hour of the morning in yeah. the middle of nowhere, yeah. And he says that there's a Circle K up ahead, yeah. but there's no sign of the Circle K, she thinks. Yeah, there, there's no sign of anything. They're out in the middle of nowhere and he's like, oh, it's very close, very close. And they start talking about women who have gone missing. That's what's in the news at the time. So even the subject matter of their conversation is unnerving her. Creepy. Yes. But the Circle K appears, he drops her off and the twist at the end of that very first chapter is that she's disappointed because she's trying to get taken by the man who took her sister in an effort to find out where her sister is. And not alone on this occasion, she's done it quite a few times yes. in the hope that uh, she is a bait. Yes. Now, uh, we won't say what she intended to do if the bait worked. I don't even think she knows what she intends to do. She is just so desperate for answers about what happened to her sister that she's been pushed to this place. Now, talk to me about the inspiration of the book, because some of us will remember those missing women of the 1990s. Yes. I don't like to say it's inspired by that because inspired is a positive word and I wouldn't want anyone to think that, you know, I have used real pain to make this novel that is primarily entertainment. But I was certainly thinking about them as I was writing it because I was a teenager in the 90s. It's, you know, the decade when I started watching the news and what was on the news that Irish women were being taken and no one was doing anything about it. No one could find them. No one could find the culprit. And I think that was really, you know, formative in terms of my relationship with true crime and crime fiction. And I can't believe we're still here 30 years later with absolutely no answers. Now, when you were growing up, you were absorbed by these kind of true crime stories. But as a child, you didn't kind of think they're true. No, <laughs> just as well <laughs> that I didn't. I was watching a lot of these made-for-TV American movies that were like for some reason available in Ireland to rent on VHS. But honestly, they were about as graphic as an episode of Murder, She Wrote. Um, and I just didn't believe that it was real because crime at that point in my life and that point in Ireland was like science fiction to me. It didn't happen. We didn't have serial killers and random uh, violent crimes as far as I knew at the time. But then um, with you beginning to watch the Irish news, realising that these things happen in real life. Yeah, it was like the stuff I was watching on TV escaped from it and, and became my reality. And, you know, I often think about what it was like to be a teenage girl growing up in a country where women, you know, you're desperate to become a woman, but the women in your country are literally vanishing off the face of the earth and no one is doing anything about it. It felt 
Now, one of the aspects of this is uh, the idea that uh, women dream about being able to do that men do routinely. Yes. N- not inevitably, uh, what I'll explain in a moment, that after a night in the pub with the lads, the man can walk home and as uh, one of the characters puts it, you know, w- think of my day, just yeah. be alone with my thoughts. Relive all the fun. Relive all the fun, walk home, not a care in the world. Yeah. And a woman, you say, can never do that. Yeah, that's the part of the night that she has to survive. There was a really interesting conversation um, doing the rounds a couple of years back about what would you do if men had a curfew? And all the women had the most mundane answers like, I'd go for a walk in my local park in the dark. I'd go for a night swim. I'd do all these normal things. Nothing spectacular, like nothing exciting. But because that fear would be removed, that danger would be removed. And this is all, you know, typically and generally speaking. Obviously, there's exceptions. Um, But, you know, that's what it was. If men had a curfew, we would just go out and walk around at night. Yeah. The idea that some women will walk home or even from the car into their house or apartment with their keys clutched between their fingers with maybe one key pointing out as a potential weapon in case. I would say all women are doing things at night with their personal safety in mind. We might not go so far as to hold our keys in that way, but certainly, you know, you park your car and you're looking around and you're making sure you've a safe route to the door. You're texting your friends when you get home to say, I'm okay, I made it, see you tomorrow. You know, there's all these little things that are just so routine in our lives that are actually because of personal safety issues. It's very interesting that that that, uh, driver in the first chapter who um, is an unfortunate kind of a fella, uh, really, that he becomes a figure of suspicion. And often men just walking along the street on the same side as a woman and maybe catching up on the woman because they walk faster becomes a figure of suspicion when he just wants to pass you by. I know, but here's the thing. What, I once had a conversation with a producer who was for another show who was talking about this and he said, you know, I'm offended that someone would think that about me. And I said, OK, well, what you're afraid of is that for one split second, someone you don't know will have a thought about you that is not true. And what I'm afraid of is getting raped and murdered. So, you know, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> now, uh, uh, your, your characters, I mean, you, you have some in the third uh, voice and some in the first person voice. Yeah. Um, so you, you, your opening chapter has Lucy in the third person uh, voice, isn't that? I'm yeah. Just trying, yeah and then we're sort of reading about Lucy. We're doing reading things, about yes. Lucy. The perpetrators in the first voice. Yes. And uh, there's a woman called Angela, who's in the first person voice as well. Yeah. Uh, which is an interesting technique. Well, it takes a long time to write a book. It takes about a year. So you're trying to keep yourself entertained, first and foremost. And for me, I like that switching around. You know, I'd find it very difficult to write a novel with one main character, one point of view and like a linear timeline. So I'm always playing with different perspectives and structure and timelines and little tricks and things. So that's what keeps me entertained. Now, there are a number of very interesting women in all of this. Um, You've got Angela, and I love the daytime, nighttime Angela. I have to say, Pat, that's, you know, that came from my own life. There's daytime and nighttime Catherine. Going to bed with the best of intentions to get up the following morning, eat healthy, exercise, then your alarm goes off, you snooze it, you go back to your old ways. Uh, It took a lot of inspiration from my own life. Daytime Angela is looking at her lunchbox and these very tired 
batons of carrot. Yeah. And she's saying, what was nighttime Angela thinking? Yeah. Daytime Angela would like today because it's certainly not tired uh, carrots. I've had mer- many a mid-morning snack along those lines, yeah. Mm. <laughs> now, she's a, an interesting character. She's a, a wannabe Garda. Yeah, she's failed her physical competency test. This is related to the not eating of the carrot buttons. Um, but she's desperate to be a guard. She's planning to take it again. But in the meantime, she is a civilian working in the mis- missing persons unit. So what's interesting to me about her is that she has great instincts, but she doesn't have the training yet to make perhaps responsible decisions all along the way. Meantime, there's Miss Pretty Perfect, uh, who is <laughs> already a qualified detective. Yes, uh, Detective Pope, who kind of becomes a sort of unwitting mentor to Angela. She doesn't want to mentor anyone, but she gets caught up in it. And uh, I love the two of them together. I think they have a great little dynamic. Because Denise is a high flyer, you know, and and impeccably dressed and groomed. Type A, she's done everything right. Yeah. 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 And Angela is struggling. But I mean, the story, it does unfold. Uh, Do you start with uh, an end point or do you start with, uh, if you like, the, the crime? I typically start with the ending of the book. Um, So when readers get to the end of this book, they will understand that I had to start with the ending. There was no other way to write this one. Um, But usually ideas seem to come from two places that join up together. So in this instance, I think it was sort of thinking about those women from the 90s and also a novel that I love called The Vanishing by Tim Crabbe, which is about a man whose wife goes missing and again, the obsession overtakes the grief and he's pushed to do really like really terrible dark things because he's so desperate for answers. There's actually a part in the novel where they play, he plays a game with himself where he says, if I was given two choices, she's alive and well, but I never know anything or she's dead and I get every detail, I'd go with she's dead. And that really struck me and I think set me on the path to coming up with the trap. Now, there's another uh, character in this. I mean, male characters can be sympathetic sometimes. Yeah, not Uh, all men. (laughs) uh, But then there's uh, the crime journalist. Yes. Uh, And I was wondering, who were you thinking about? I wasn't thinking of anyone in particular, for legal reasons. (laughs) Um, Because it's it's quite a a graphic portrayal of the kind of... I just have a very vivid imagination. That's why I always think it's really funny when people assume that, you know, things in books, like your auntie is always like, oh, I know who you were talking about. That's saying that I I don't have enough of imagination to make people up. I really do. Obviously, you take little snippets from yeah. real life. But, but yeah. it, it does examine the interactions between law enforcement, the media, the public response to missing persons and indeed the people, the families who were caught up in these terrible stories. Yeah, I think it's really interesting how we treat different victims of violent crime or, you know, maybe they're missing people. And in this book, there's sort of uh, a golden girl. So she's, you know, she's young, she's beautiful, she's quote unquote innocent. um, And there's this rapturous response in the media. And I often wonder, like, what if you were conventionally unattractive, you had done some bad things, you know, you were what society would see as a failure in life, like would you get that same sort of coverage? And if you don't get the coverage, that makes it harder for people to find you and keep your case in the news and things like that. So... So that that business of um, kind of quiet victim blaming. Oh, she yes. was out late. Uh, it was half four in the morning. What was she doing out at half four in the morning? And I, wearing... I don't think it's that quiet. I think it's quite loud a lot of the times. Yeah, and yeah. wearing that dress. Yeah. What was she thinking about? And why didn't she do? Whereas, you know, the school child 
who's, uh, you know, no life experiences at all. Yeah. That is the comparison. Yeah, I mean, we had, you know, we won't say any names, but we had a case here in Ireland uh, not that long ago where the reaction after the violent murder of a woman in broad daylight was she was just going for a jog. And the word just, like, implies that were she stumbling down a street at three in the morning drunk in a miniskirt, you know, we'd have a different reaction. So I think we have to be very careful about the language we use and how we react to things like this. And not just the media, but ourselves as the general public as well. Where do you get this dark side? I don't know, Pat. (laughs) (laughs) But at least I'm putting it in the books and Mm. I'm not using it for anything else. (laughs) Because it must be uh, difficult when we're talking about the perpetrator who's given a voice fairly early on in the book. So I'm not uh, being a spoiler in this regard. I mean, you have to delve into quite dark aspects of this person who's really creepy. I mean, I don't know what it says about me, but I really enjoyed writing those chapters. I think like I'm really um, interested in ordinary monsters. So it's easy to dismiss someone who commits violent crime or, you know, serial killers and things like this as being all about the bad things they do. But everyone is the hero of their own life. And so everyone who's doing things like this feels justified and has a reason. So it's fascinating to me to build a backstory that sort of offers an explanation of sorts, however weird and unjust it is. I've said to you before about your work. um, It should be on the screen. Well, there's three things at the moment, three irons in the fire, only one of which I'm allowed to talk about, which is 56 Days, which is Amazon with Amazon Studios. But of course, there is a strike on, so everything is on pause and we'll just have to wait and see what happens. In the meantime, I recommend that everyone get this one because it really is a great read. It's uh, called uh, The Trap. It's published by Penguin and its author, Catherine Reinhard. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.